Okay, yep. So um, I'm Jackie Healing. I'm a director of food safety and quality at NSF. Um, I'm a food technologist by training. Been in the industry close to 40 years now. And um, I lead our kind of, well, I work in and lead our consulting and advisory services, mainly in the UK, but some global contracts as well. What are the biggest choke points in food and drink supply chains that can lead to food fraud? Okay, so, I mean, food fraud is is an opportunistic situation that will occur or can occur whenever you've got either shortages of supply or particularly expensive ingredients where a criminal element could see a way to relatively easily substitute one thing for another and make money on it with limited risk of being detected that's the that's the perfect storm that that they're looking for um and those causative factors can change all the time and the one we all know about at the moment is obviously um sunflower oil from ukraine we're talking about wheat we know there's some challenges on manuka honey uh, we know there's some challenges on high it always have been on very expensive commodity spices like saffron um, and olive oil, you know, particularly extra virgin single press olive oil has been one that's been around for a while. Um, but it generally occurs when prices are rising and availability is short. Or if there's a sudden glut of something onto the market for whatever reason, um, that, you know, the, the, uh, an opportunistic criminal element might go, oh, there's a lot of that, and that would be relatively easy to put in there and nobody's going to find it. So that's what happened really with horse meat. You know, there was a, a glut of horse meat on the market in countries where it's perfectly permissible to sell it uh, for human consumption, and people found a way to get that into the food chain across wider Europe and ultimately into the UK where it isn't permissible in foodstuffs. So I think you get the opportunistic jumping on a chance because you see it, but like, you know, there's, there are criminal elements involved in this that are planning it very, very carefully and growing the alternate crop, you know, actively sourcing high volumes of the alternate material for whatever, whatever it might be, because they know that they can relatively easily substitute it in and they have a limited, there's a very low risk of them being caught. I mean, there's the three elements, if you think of it from the criminal's perspective, um, these with which they can do it. So, you know, something's available for them. It's not particularly hard for them to get it. Won't arouse a load of suspicion. Um, it's going to make them money, good money. And the chances of getting caught are pretty low. If those three things come together, then then they'll seize that opportunity. Now, what are the most common forms of food fraud and how can we deal with them? Well, you know, there's obviously the publicly known ones that I've already mentioned. Your manuka honeys, your extra virgin olive oil, saffron. Uh, horse meat, the big one. Um, I suspect there's a there's an awful lot more that people are aware of that don't make it into the public domain. I mean, I can say that from my own experiences, where our own internal testing programs or checking programs identified gave us cause for concern in in previous organisations I've worked with, and then we've investigated and we've gone, oh yeah, look, you know, there's a substitution in there that shouldn't have been happening. Um, some are much, much more difficult to identify than others. You know, some can be identified through a product testing situation in a laboratory. Others, frankly, can't. I mean, if you're, or not easily anyway, if you're, if you're claiming that your eggs are free range and for some reason they're not, 
there are tests that you can do that look for certain isotopes within the egg that would only probably be available if this if the hen was outside scratching around in the ground but it's complicated and expensive to do uh, and you know it's it's quite easy for people to take advantage of that and I've had many experiences in my career where you know we've had suspicion that a maybe a certain source of meat a certain rearing system around meat from a certain country that we specified as 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 the cons as the consumer or as the consumer as the buyer of the product rather um we've identified well you know there's just more of, they didn't even import enough to have given us all that we wanted so they must have bought it from somewhere else um, and it's that cover and so coming on to what do people need to do about it you need to know your chain as to the amount of detail that you possibly can clearly buying from known sources that you can visit or have been independently certified in some way is going to be a lot less risky than buying on an open market for example or perhaps via brokers and traders depending on on how reputable they are and how well you know them um in the right amount of testing and checking is going to be important. Um, but what's particularly unusual at the moment is that there is this incredible challenge on availability of foodstuffs. Brexit, Ukraine, cost of living, fuel price, all of this is driving a highly competitive situation in the market. And in order for organisations, manufacturers and retailers to continue to have product to sell, Many of them, and we see this from the clients we work with, are, rapid, are having to relatively rapidly find alternate sources of these raw materials. Now, when I worked in supermarketing, you know, if we were going to move product from one source to another, that was a three, six, nine month process while we went through all the relative checks and balances. We maintained the supply we had currently until we switched it over to the new supply. People are not have, haven't got the luxury of that time now. They're having to make some of these decisions to switch supply in, you know, in in days, uh, and inevitably, coupled with the restrictions on travel, coupled with cost controls in organisations, etc., 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 it's much harder to do the degree of rigour around that switch of supply than, than you would probably prefer to do, and probably your quality system recommends that you do. There, there are ways to mitigate that, you know, buy from certified sources, buy from known sources, put some testing in, but it, but it's getting harder and harder and it will continue to do so whilst, you know, we're running this into this really unusual social economic situation that we're in today. Do you think there are enough protections in place to prevent food fraud? Uh, is government doing enough? The, the problem with any kind of government intervention is, is you know, effectively they're, they're at the point of testing. That's really all the government could spend money on doing, to be honest, testing product. They do have a programme for that, Food Standards Agency do. Many, you know, there's organisations like um, that, that pull together interested parties, Food Authenticity Network and others who collate company findings in an environment of confidence so that everybody can share their risk profiles and their testing results and, and all the rest of it. Um, but the risk is going up quite quickly and whether or not everybody's ramping up their controls and 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 um, systems to at the same rate, I'm not sure that they are. And then you dial into, you know, there are shortages of technical resources available in the country anyway recruiting high caliber technical people is very challenging 
we used to bring some of those resources in internationally and we're no longer able to do that in the same way. So it is really a perfect storm. I don't think that people are, people, clients I've been talking to and people I've been talking with in, in recent weeks about this, some are right on top of it and really, really focused on it and have revisited their risk profiles and are doing it very frequently. But they tend to have high numbers of resources in their businesses and great many food manufacturers and um people selling in, in the hospitality chains just don't have the luxury of that level of resource. So they, be, they will be challenged. There's no doubt about it. Can you summarise your advice to food and drink manufacturers? Make sure your quality system is thorough in terms of your supply chain, your raw material supply chain. Know it to the best of your, of your ability. Revisit your risk mapping if you or do it for the first time. You may never have even done it. Um, Call in for some expert advice. There's plenty of people out there who've got plenty of experience in dealing with this type of thing to help you if you're not sure uh, and enhance your testing programs. So that if it, so that even if you do get it, you find it before you use it, because the damage to your brand and the damage to your personal, your reputation as an organisation, should you inadvertently um, place something on the market that isn't of the substance and nature that it was intended to be and you're caught, um, either by regulator or by public opinion, um, takes it will take a long, long time to recover from. And, um, you know, certain product, particularly the provenance claims that people might make on product, um, consumers are very passionate about some of that, very, very passionate. And if they, if they think that you're offering them an organic or a certain regional sourced or a certain method of growing and rearing in terms of welfare, product onto the market and actually it turns out not to be that you know, they will walk away from your brand probably and certainly view it through very less trusted eyes going forward and that can damage your future your future growth your future sales your future profitability i think it's very useful to think about this from the eyes of the perpetrator you know i think it's very useful to take that that perspective of where could they make the best money, stand the least chance of getting caught and would be easy to do? If you put that lens on it rather than maybe the historical analytical surveys that government may have run or whatever, um, you will, you may come at it from a different perspective because we are in a very different climate economically currently. And I think the risk is very, very much different than we've ever seen in the recent past. I mean, food substitution and adulteration has been around since around forever since you know, Dickensian and beyond time. So it's not new, but this particular dynamic is quite new. And um, and you just need to be alert to it and do everything in your power. At the end of the day, you're, you're obligated to take all reasonable precautions and, all due, and exercise all due diligence. And, and knowing the risk is heightened, existing with the old processes will not be considered to be satisfactory should you end up in the unfortunate position of having made a mistake. Jackie, thank you very much. This has been Gwen Riddler for Food Manufacture.